0: Morning. Morning. Pretend I'm not picking things up here. Here Well, this morning and this evening, hopefully, I have a topic that some of you might think is a little bit unique. And that's the topic of biblical manhood. Already all my sisters are saying, well, what are we going to do with that? You're going to go home and you're going to give it to your husband. No kidding. (laughs) change the topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, why, why would I bring up this topic? I'm I bringing up this topic because I, I think we can find it in the scriptures, and as some have said, there's a crying need for this topic uh, in our society, in our world today. Uh, and also, as I think, as I travel around different assemblies, and I think, um, what do what different assemblies need? I, I think that... Um, what is this local church like? What could they stand to need? What is that local church like? Just because I might be studying something, I don't always speak on it. Matter of fact, I, I often don't. Um, I really do try to think about what a local church needs. And sometimes, um, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to think about. It is my conviction at this point in my life, also that, that elders and teachers in the local church should be ready to help those who come to speak in terms of, look, this is what we've studied. We have not had ministry on this probably think we could use some mystery on that. That's just two cents from a brother that travels around some teaches. Um, but this this topic is one that's important, and the reason I picked it for Claremont is not only is it generally important, you will have an encouraging group of young men here. I'd just like to let you know that. And that's, uh, that's not extremely common, unfortunately. And so this is something for them, and you're going to find also, as we talk through these things, it's something for Men and women in general, there'll be some things that I'll say this morning that can apply to anyone on the topic of physical mandate. Now, I have shared this in one or two other places. Uh, I used to never repeat my messages. And then someone said, you know, if it's worth preaching once, it's probably worth preaching more than once. Uh, and some older preachers would say, you know, messages don't really get good until you preach them several times. There's different You know, the ultimate question is, what does it look like in the eyes of Christ, regardless of what the preachers say. Um, And I guess I'm getting to a place in my life where I I finally sort of sunk my roots into a few things that I feel like I need to share in more than one place. Um, But I don't just take a message and go around and preach it uh, until I get tired of it. But this is something I've shared at a couple places before, and I'd like to share it here. And as a topic of of biblical meaning, I want to suggest there is in the scriptures a model for... um, biblical manhood, you might say, well, why do you use the word model? And I use the word model because I think when we look at Genesis, we can actually see some things that God intended for mankind when he created them. It was a good and, we can use the word perfect creation, so there should be no problem with going back to look at that. And... I'm going to do this morning what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul did when he asked questions about marriage. Do you remember what they did? You know about the roles of men and women? They went all the way back to the creation. So I'm simply doing what our Savior did, and so that I think I get permission from his use of Scripture to do the same thing with, with manhood. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, we can turn there, Psalm chapter 8, we've asked the Lord to bless our time this morning, so I'm just going to launch right into our message. Psalm chapter 8, I'll be... I'll be reading from the New King James. Some of my uh, verse quotes will be from different English translations. I tend to use the New King James. Uh, sometimes there's a, a wording that I prefer. I think that's all right. Psalm chapter 8. You read this. And I'll read from verse 1 for context. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your That you may silence the enemy and the Then We have these verses here. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the work of your hands, the moon, the stars, that you have ordained as the example of work of his the psalmist looks at them, he thinks about them, he then asks this question. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him or that you care for him? What, what is man? If you've, if you've had the, the opportunity to look at any pictures of deep space that the Hubble telescopes have captured, uh, really ask this question. As a matter of fact, you may challenge your concept of God when you begin to realize how big the universe is, and you may need to adjust the concept that you have of God, and you realize how vast the universe is. What is man that you have uh, That you mindful of, the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and with honor. You have put all things under his feet. Excuse me, verse 6 says, You have made him have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and... Beast of the field. And so he begins to talk about that It ends with a doxology O Lord, our Lord O Yahweh, our Adonai, Lord of Lord How excellent is your name in all the earth. I quote this passage really just for this phrase here. Um, what is man? What is man? And young men and fathers and people that come from our fellowships are asking that question. Sometimes they don't realize they're asking it, but they're going to ask, what does it mean to be a man? When am I a man? What does that mean? How should I be a father? Which is an additional question. And a husband. And this sort of overarches all these different things. And I'm going to give some biblical principles, ten of them, that you can write down if you want, that I think we see in Scripture. Um... How does a man know that he is a man? This is a picture from the world's strongest man competition. You ever had the privilege of watching, I don't know if that's a privilege, <laughs> watching that. Uh, and uh, you know, sometimes you think, now these are real men. And I've asked groups of men before, the one or two times that I've shared this, when is a man a real man? And each culture will give a different answer for that. And some people in America will say, well, you know, when you are dry, or we Learn to dream, or when you get out of your house and go out on your own, or when you get your first job, your real job. The best answer I like is that you're, a, you're a real man when the bills start coming to your name. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, you've got something there, well, That's good. <laughs> yeah, it speaks to independence. You know, you're know, really in, in, independent. Um, and then there might be something biblical that that a man to leave his father or mother and leave to his wife. And I'll mention that tonight. But there's a real contrast in our society because in our society there's a real lack of clearness on this issue. I saw a quote from uh, Wayne Gretzky and he said, he had a great relationship with his father. They weren't believers to my knowledge, but his father had a huge impact on his life as a hockey actor. He was one of the greatest hockey players that ever lived. Uh, I hope you don't mind some of these these thought provoking comments. And he made this statement, he said, a man never outgrows his father. Man never outgrows his father. And a, and a guy's relationship with his father or the lack thereof will impact his life for decades. And there's a need in our society where, for example, over 50% of marriages end in divorce, and where many people grow up without their father, or grow up in the homes of men who weren't their biological father. If they were, they don't really know how to be a father, and so they sort of just throw these platitudes at their son. You know, be a man, men don't cry, do as I say, not as I do, and they don't really know who they are, and so there's this insecurity that goes with the through life. And so we as a group of believers, when people come into our fellowship, somebody has to be able to take men under their wings and say, "Look, this is what manhood is about, and let me show you some scripture. And hopefully the message this morning will at least give you a place to start with doing that, and will be a help to some of the guys here. This is big picture stuff. Um, There are some cultures in our world that have very clear boundaries for moving into manhood. Don't worry, we're going to get the scriptures. I'm making a contrast between the United States, for example, and some cultures. This is the Maasai tribe of East Africa. And and you've probably heard things like this from missionaries uh, and other people where they will take young men at an age of 12, or addicted, they can depend, and they'll take them out of their mother's home, and they'll take them off into the jungle and they'll be there for a year or a period of time, and they're, they're, they're isolated from the rest of the village and from their mother, and when they leave the house, it's almost like they're becoming a man now. No longer are their mom's you know, kitchen, or hearth. now they're, they're a man in a different sense, and they will spend time out in the jungle and they'll get taught the traditions of their culture, and they'll get taught how to hunt, and how to make war, and, and obviously the religious views of their culture, uh, the secrets of their society, um, and the men that will come out and teach them, and some of them have rites of passage to do certain things, to catch certain things, and when they come back after that time, there's a clear sense that they're men. Nothing like that exists in our culture. And so there's a real insecurity about what in the world does it mean to be, to be a man? And so... Even though cultures may have a very strong tradition, even fall short. You know why? Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says. And so even cultures with strong rites of passage are far from the scriptures and are, are neglecting certain things that God created when he created man. And so our desire when we talk about manhood will be to go back to the original creation of man and say, what did God do there? That we can take and give to men today and say, Look, if you want to be a man in a real sense, a biblical sense, a godly sense, that's what I mean on your phrase, your hand up by a real man, you've got to get some of these things in the picture. Um, so I'm saying the same thing. What do I mean by a real manhood? Real in the sense of God's original plan for mankind. Manhood prescribed in the Bible principles we can apply in any culture. These should be things that the Messiah tribe can apply, especially after they come to Christ, that they in <clears throat> South America, or right here in California can apply. Okay, so what do real men look like? Real men look like? I'm going to give you ten characteristics uh, from the Bible. Ten from the Bible. And um, let's begin with Genesis chapter one. So we had this question from the Psalms. What is man? What is man? Well, let's go look at the creation of man. Man was created had no sin. He was good. When God says something, this is good. And you know, this must be what we should aim for. What is man? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, said this. This is the end of the creation. When the end of the creation, we read this, way. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, in a beautiful phrase, let us let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Genesis 126. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's what Psalmist was quoting from. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. There's a key thing, sisters. Male and female he created them. Men and women are created in the image of God. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that the man is the glory and image of God. So The Bible teaches that men and women are created in God's image, but there's a unique difference. The woman is the glory of the man, and the man is the glory of God. And That would be a neat thing to chase down why that is. That's not for this, this, that's not for this message this morning. So. Let us make man in our image. The only reason I start with this is because I think in our society, we we have people walking around wondering if God even exists. They can't even get off the ground with a discussion of what does the Bible teach about man's uh, purpose because they don't even know why they were created. They don't even know if they're not accidents. And so I would argue in 21st century America, for a man to be able to say, this is what manhood is, he's got to be able to start off with the the conviction that he's not an accident. So I am offering a worldview that is different than a naturalistic, materialistic, secularistic worldview that doesn't have a creator in mind. Uh, when you go to school and people talk about evolution and Darwinian evolution, one of the things that you need to realize is that most of the secular proponents of that worldview suggest um, it's not just evolution, because you know some Christians will take up evolution and they'll try to use that. The secular worldview is that evolution was an unguided process that is emphasized, okay? So when you, if you come to a place in your life when you think about that type of thing, just realize that that's the direction that most secular thinkers are, are, are talking about. It's not just evolution, it's an unguided process. God is out of the picture, and it creates huge implications for the rest of life. So here we are, a real man knows he is not an accident, There is a God in the universe, and that has huge implications for life. The beginning of wisdom in Proverbs is what? The fear of God. The belief that God is there, and I make my actions and choices in life in the view of God's sight. If you believe God is there, that changes everything. That's the beginning of wisdom. I respect God. He's there. He sees me. I must do things differently. Uh, These four questions are the basic questions of philosophy. Why am I here? You're going to ask those questions at some point in your life. Whether you were raised in a Christian home or not, why am I here? I mean, do I really believe God exists? Do I really believe God is the result of His creation? Who am I? Where am I going?
1: Where is life going? Where is society going? Where
0: is history going? What should I do in life? What is the, the, the best life for me to live? These are the basic questions. Uh, we move towards true manhood when we realize God created mankind and the result of creative act, and I'm not here accident. Uh, your ideas have consequences, and look on the left-hand side in blue here, and um, you see what the implications of a biblical worldview are, and then in pink, or red, uh, if you're colorblind, I don't know what color you're seeing right now. Um, this side, the movie, but on the right-hand side, the implications of a naturalistic worldview, a worldview without God. So on the left side, a biblical worldview, if you're created, somebody wants you here automatically you can see the implications for one's emotional state and one's meaning in life. I'm not an accident, someone wants me here. Two, you have objective value. You're not a throwaway. You're more than an animal. Three, your life has a purpose. If somebody put you here, then you're not an accident, then you have purpose in life, even if you don't feel like you have purpose in life. The creative act demands that you have purpose, unless you believe God is just a a God of randomness. You still bear the image of God. Now, I'll have to defend that from Scripture, and I'll do that today. And that's the unique thing that separates us from the animal. We have a lot of similarities to the animal creation, but this is what separates us up uniquely. Man has true responsibility for the earth, his actions, and other humans. Man is significant because he's part of God's cosmic plan for the ages. What he does affects not only his life, but his own future. That's that's just the implications of you being created. Okay? On the right-hand side, if you weren't creative, look at the, the implications of that. You are the result of mindless physics and natural selection. You are essentially an accident. And even though men like Richard Dawkins say natural selection is not an accident, the mutations that produce natural selection in that worldview are non deliberate They are random. They are accidental. Even if natural selection is technically not random, the mutations that are produced that nature selects from in that worldview are random. And so I disagree, I would say you are the result in a world view of random causes. So you have no real value in the second world other than cultural and emotional projections. You're just on a pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan said in the 80s, spinning out of the universe. You really don't have any ultimate meaning except for what you project on your own life. Life has no overarching purpose other than what we pose on it personally. You bear the image of prior animals. You don't bear the image of God because God is not there in this world. Man has no responsibility to Earth, and if he says he does, he's really just pretending. <coughs> he's adopting a worldview that doesn't cohere with, with what people are saying about God's not being there. And in man's future is to die like all animals. The earth will be consumed by the sun. Humanity will cease to exist. Um, and that's it. Ideas have consequences. A real man begins his understanding of manhood with the concept of. Now, one thing I'd like to do this morning is also suggest that Jesus Christ as the ultimate man, the the, the second Adam, or the last Adam, the second Adam, excuse me, um, I always get this mixed up, but he is the fulfillment of, I think, and you'll see in each of these things that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills them. So we have Adam in the beginning, before he fell, we can look to him, and then we can look to Christ. Look at some of these different things. The Lord Jesus Christ knew he had purpose on earth. He didn't mindlessly walk around earth at, at, at age 12. At a young age, in Luke two forty-two, we read, uh, I must be about my father's business. I don't know if in this room is age 12, but it's interesting. And you see some people in life who turn out to be great artists. and they, Some of these guys know at a young age that this is what they're going to do. And our Savior was ready to be on his father's business. at age twelve. Luke 9.51, uh, he, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we see him going to Jerusalem all for the last half of the book. Uh, David Gooding said that, that Luke can be divided in his coming and then his going. Uh, and go towards Jerusalem. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Am I really going to say that? No. Or before, before this cause came, on this hour? It's a beautiful thing to chase down in John's Gospel, the phrase, my hour, my hour, my hour, my hour. Look at that in John's Gospel It's great devotional. His hour was accompanied by two things, suffering and glorification. Look at those phrases and see what's, see what's different. Uh, see when his hour comes and what triggers that. Um, he knew his identity. And I can't spend time on all of these, but just quickly, he, you know, the, the I am statement in scripture, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Uh, John 8, 23, uh, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. John eight twelve. 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of this world. In a clear sense of who he was and his identity. Some have said today that we have, in response to what have been called the cults, so emphasized the deity of Christ that we have underemphasized the humanity of Christ. Biblical truth comes from emphasizing all that the scripture says. Error and heresy is often born in the overemphasis or the underemphasis of truth. We want to be people who capture all that the scripture says on the topic. And so when we speak about our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to speak about him and preach about him and think about him, not just in his deity, one who came from heaven, who, who whose the glories of heaven were his by right and by nature, and, and humbled himself, but also one who was really, truly human, so that as we watch him walk on earth, he was there as a man. Walking in absolute faith and trust in his Father. Doing the works by the power of the Spirit. Speaking only the words that the Father gave him. Um, we don't want to lose the example he sets before us as if he wasn't a man. He wasn't. Uh, he was the perfect man. And he knew why he was here. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say unto you before him, and him was, I am. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved in it he will go in and out and find pasture john 10 11, i am the good shepherd we'll talk about this a little bit later the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep john 10 36 you say of him who the father sanctified and sent into the world you're blaspheming because i said i am the son of god john eleven twenty five. 25 jesus said to her i am the resurrection of life i don't just bring it about I won't just be there when it happens. I am the resurrection and the life. In him was life. That life was the life of men. Or in him was life. Um, and that life was the life of men. Um, I mean, all of these statements. Look at them. And this is just great to watch and to read and to think about. John 14, 6, Jesus said, now, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Are you trying to get to the Father through some other way, maybe the way of Jesus and your own sincerity, your own good works, your own effort, your own religious knowledge, your own heritage the fact that you've been at church since you were a little girl, a little boy Jesus said, I am the way not me and you just me I am the true vine John 15, 1, and my Father is the vine dresser, source of life after salvation, and of fruit bearing many of us are trying to bear fruit with Without me, you can do nothing. Don't stress about it. Just accept it. Um, Acts 9 5 Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus. If you're persecuted. It's hard for you to kick against the goat. Paul, I've been getting your attention. You know, the, the goat, the, the, the farmer is driving the cow and getting in the mood. Paul, stop kicking back against them. I am Jesus. And so we can ask the question if I was created, then I can look to my Creator for clues regarding His original plans when He put man on earth. Okay. Jesus looks back to the creation of Adam and Eve when asked about marriage. Paul does this in his epistles when asked about the differences between men and women. So let's consider Adam, uh, our prototype. Um, the Bible talks about the first Adam in 1 Corinthians 15 45 the last Adam of there. So, the second point, so the first point was what? A real man knows he's not an accident. That changes everything. And I'll continue these tonight. A real man, point two, and I say real in the sense of biblically minded, a model biblically minded worldview for manhood, represents God. Now, where do we get that from? Turn back to Genesis. I'm going to get almost all of this from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25 and 26, we've already read them. Where do we get that from? We get it from this phrase. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. I get that from this phrase, in God's image. We are created in God's image. And the way I understand that, it's a very basic concept. And you can get all kinds of books and things that talk about this, but when, when... When the angelic realm looked upon earth and saw man, they were to see a creation that represented God, that bore the image of God, that was interested in the things that God was interested in, that wanted the things that God wanted, that act like God, and talk like God, and walk like God in the garden, and got revelation from him, and lived that out on the earth. They saw man, and they weren't to think about man, they were to say, ding, they were to think about God as a reflection, that was a reflection that again. Um, we look at the moon. The moon is what? It's reflected light. okay? In a sense, it bears the image of the sun, the light of the sun, at least. Um, that might be a bad analogy. You remember, the last time I was here, we talked about the lordship of Jesus Christ as, you, as it goes through the, the last week um, before crucifixion. And I don't think we went through uh, the point where the Lord Jesus asks for a coin and holds it up. And he says, render unto Caesar... The things that are Caesar's. And then the God, things that are God. What was the deal with the coin? Whose image and inscription is on it? Caesar's. So this is Caesar's. Whose image is on you? God's. So you're God's. Thus the, uh, the Augustus coin. Man bears the image of God, and that, that that's stated by the Lord is one of the verses you could use to answer the question, do we still bear God's image today, or was it totally lost in the fall? Um... And I'm going to suggest here that there are some things that make you different than, than the animals. When the image of God implies that humanity is more than just atoms. There's more to human existence than what can be seen and touched and measured. Um, I'm going to give you a couple suggestions here. We, I don't have time for this, but as usual, if you want the notes, you can have it. Um, there's a lot of notes in the PowerPoint here. What's different between humans and animals? I'm going to give you a few suggestions. One, um, man reasons and contemplates and asks, Who am I? Where am I going?
1: We don't have any
0: evidence that animals really do that at all. Obviously they have some type of thought process, but we have a very unique capacity to reason, to think, and to reflect. I mean, we're out there in the jungle reflecting on the animals, not just ourselves. I, I, I think it's ironic when you see people make these documentaries, they talk about how similar they are to, to the angelic not the angelic realm, but the animal realm, and yet we're out there in the bushes, you know, with the high-definition cameras, and we're filming them, and then we're making these documentaries so we can talk and think about the animals. Uh, they're just, there's just a, a categorical difference. Um, and all of these come from God, by the way. God thinks and reflects, and, and we think and reflect like God does. Uh, God is a moral God. And we have a moral capacity to us. They don't think you see in the animal realm. The, the, the cheetos, when they kill the gazelle in the National Geographic, they don't sit there and say, "It did it again, you're going to stop. they don't, they don't do that, you know, they just do that. Um, and we have a conscience, a moral conscience, that the animal uh, realm doesn't have. God has dominion, and he mediates that through humanity. Now that was corrupted as a result of the fall. It's picked up by Jesus Christ again, it will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. But the animals don't have dominion over the earth. That was given to man. All of these things come to us from God and are something that is unique to us, that makes us different, that gives us the image of God. God invents, creates, redeems, improves. Man has the capacity to do that. You don't tend to see animals doing that. Now you might see a few chimpanzees use a twig as a tool, people are like, oh, there it is, there it is. They're just like us. Or we're like them. They should say, well, they're like us in that small way. You know, we create space stations. (coughs) There's a little difference there. Uh, God is is love. We have the capacity for love. And for agape love. uh, Love for the sake of of the one who gives it, not just for the sake of the one who does or doesn't deserve it. God is tripartite. uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. We are body. So there are all kinds of, that would be a whole other message, wouldn't it? What does it mean to bear the image of God? So I'm simply suggesting that one of the realities of biblical manhood, of real manhood, is when a man begins to understand that he bears the image of God, and so that he has a purpose on earth, he has a reason for being created, and one of the overarching purposes for his creation was that when man, when he was looked at, he would represent God on earth. He's not just here for himself. Now, you may find this to be not that big of a deal. But I want to understand all of life in a way that harmonizes with Scripture. So that I can talk to people. So that when, when I talk to my friends, I say, hey, we have a biblical model for man. We understand what man it is from a Christian worldview. you know, you don't. Let's talk about this. Uh, we can work from this toward the things that society is saying that we should be doing because they're borrowing the theistic worldview. Different issue though. Secular society, whose image does man bear? There's the image of the animal. Um, He's not a created being, has different implications. Remember what happened in Romans chapter one? They changed the glory of God into what? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, an interesting question, but that downward slide in Romans 1 begins with a lack of thanks. That's where our hearts begin to turn. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They changed, they became fools. And what did that look like? They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. But God's like us. We're not like God. Oh, and then the birds, the 4 the new world says, there is no God. You bear the image of the animal. It's a complete reversal of the whole world. I assume we're stopping at the top of the animal. I'm always going to ask that. No matter how many times I speak. Let me ask the answer this question you. Was the image of God in man lost at the fall? We already suggested one verse in Luke. Remember? When the Lord Jesus holds up the coin and says, whose image is on it? and by implication implies that the image of God is on man, and for that reason, you should render yourself unto God, that verse alone is enough to suggest that man still bears the image of God, and so he is God's. But look at this in Genesis chapter 9. This is the ground for government and for capital punishment. This is after the flood, Genesis chapter 9, verse number 1. The flood has ended. I'm to read verses 1 to 6. Say, well, did I hear we you talk about the image of God. Is it still there? Or did we lose it and fall? I don't feel like I had God's image when I look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and I felt working like, man, I do look good. I just look in the mirror and I'm like, Are the, the, the good looking side of the family is at home. Genesis chapter 1, 9 verse 1. So God blessed Noah. And his sons that come out of the ark and said to them the same thing that was said to Adam which indicates that it's still God's will this happened be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the fear of you now this wasn't said at the creation the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea now, why would he change that because the next clause. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as or like between green herd. That would be a bad situation. If you went to hunt and all the animals just came out and see you. Like they did before the dark, you know, before the fall. They just wouldn't no context. Now I don't know if that's why the Lord made the animals run from man and fear man like they do. I'm open to your suggestion. But it's in the same verse. He says that, and he says, and by the way, you may not eat them, which is an interesting thing to think about. Why the change? So if you really want to be vegetarian, you've got a you free-fall world. Your but the Lord said, this is good now. This is good. You can eat them. So that's pretty you not vegetarian. Uh, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now, verse number four, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Here we go. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require, the blood of man is shed, it's going to be required. And from the hand of man, or from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Here's, we're moving into, this is part of, you could argue, the covenant day with Noah, and the covenant fills the dispensation with content, the dispensation of human constant, con, uh, conscience, not conscience, excuse me, human government. Here we have one of the key parts of that, whoever sheds man's blood, by man, his blood shall be said. This was never said before the flood.
1: Why? Why
0: would it be the case now? Why would it be that if somebody's life was taken by a man, he would be required uh, to give his life? There it is. For, um, in the image of God, he made man. I should just not entertain my voice. For the image of God, he made man. That's why. So, God... Builds the foundation of human government on the reality that the image of God is still in man. It wasn't lost at all. Why is it wrong to take life? Because man bears the image of God. Animals don't bear the image of God in that way. There's a great difference there. God doesn't require the blood of an animal at us if we kill an animal. Now, He may require it of you if you're ruthless and you do cruel things to animals because God is the of love and grace and kindness. Creating animals with the capacity of, uh, to, to experience pain because pain keeps us safe, but this is different, okay? Um, and so, if you're talking with your friends and they say, "Well, why would you believe in capital punishment?" you say, "Well, because I believe God exists. I believe God is create, communicating in Scripture. It's been preserved through time. There's a lot of discussion, and in Scripture, He tells us that man was created in God's image. There are things about us that are different than animals, and one of those things is that we have the image of God. And God says well, should we shouldn't kill people." because people are created in the image of God. That's where our discussion starts. That's how we defend our position towards capital punishment. Uh, not that there's not room for mercy in other areas, um, or you know, these other things, but that's at least the beginning of the conversation, okay? Here's another verse, James chapter seven, uh, verse, uh, James three, verses seven, nine, turn it quickly. Another verse, so we you three verses this morning to suggest that, that men still bear and women, remember it says that men and women were created in the name of God, but we still bear God's image to some extent, even though man uh, fell in the garden. James chapter 3, just another verse that says uh, that we bear the image of God. And what's my goal for some of this? If you take it and think through life and world worldview, and why you do what you do, from scripture as well. James chapter 3, verse 7 to 9 says this, speaking of the tongue in our language, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, general statement, that it will tame those animals, and has been tamed by man. heart. I don't know if they tamed transverse <laughs> They lost a few guys on the way. They figured it out. Nearly sure. <laughs> um, every animal has been tamed. Um, but Unfortunately, even though we can tame animals, we can't tame our tongues. No man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, and made in the image of God. The life of God. The same reason. You shouldn't just. Person, they bear the image of God. Treat them differently. Now, this is where it gets beautiful. That's true. Christ is the perfect example, not only of one who knew his purpose, but of one who bore the image of God, because he is the what the express image of the Father. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. Now, let's just turn to it. He is executed. The word is there. The of perfect God John 1, verse 18. No man has seen any God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared Him. We can't see God the Father. He is spirit. Okay. Right? dwells an unapproachable light. We're sinful. We're separated. Your friends, your your non-believing friends, you want to know why God doesn't just appear, you show up for them so they can leave, You can tell them because every time you did that in His true which is kind of glory, people were terrified, absolutely terrified. Moses was afraid at Mount Sinai. The Israelites said, "We don't want to see this anymore." Moses. You go talk to God for us. John, the beloved Apostle, the one that Jesus loved to, leaned on his chest stand before the same Jesus Christ in Revelation, Falls it his feet as a Why? Because there is a word with me. John 19. Uh, we see God in Christ. He is the express image of God, Hebrews 1-3. Jesus could say, He that has seen me, has seen the Father. He gave us the words of the Father. John chapter 14. I did not speak my own words. Interestingly, the Father gives Jesus Christ, who would be the Son of Man, man on earth, his words. He speaks the Father's words, and then he gives that truth and the words to the disciples, and they go into all the world preaching the words of God. The Word of God. Uh, No man spoke like this man, John chapter 7. So. Jesus Christ is the ultimate image of the Father, the perfect of the Father. So what happens? We are created in God's image, and the fall resulted. We still bear the image of God, but we know something's wrong. What's God going to do about that? Because I don't think anybody would say that we rightly, perfectly, fully bear the image of God like God intended. Well, Romans chapter 8 seems to have the resolution of the marring of the image of God in the outworking of human history. Um, man was created by God in his image, in which mark the fall of God. God did not surrender his will, but accomplishes it by making us like the one who perfectly bears God's image. Romans chapter 8, what does it say? Verse 29. For whom he, that is God, did foreknow. What did he do? What did he do? What was his destiny? He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, what end that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. The destiny of everyone who trusts Christ is to be made like and to bear the image of the Son of God. In whose image does Jesus Christ bear the image of the Father? God is restoring His image in humanity. God never gives up His intentional will. Sovereignty means that whatever God wants to happen happens, no matter what anybody else does. God's sovereignty is big enough to encapsulate the free decisions, incorporate and encapsulate the free decisions of humanity. He does that. And sometimes he steps in and directs and changes hearts and does different things like that, but that's the way it turns out. you meant it for evil, said Joseph. You did what you wanted to do. God meant it for good. When your hands took Christ and put him on a cross, not because they were trying to accomplish salvation for the world, because they hated him. And there God used those great acts to accomplish eternal salvation. We can mean things for all sorts of things, and God's will is done. And so God doesn't surrender his will for God man to bear his image. God will one day succeed. Earth will be populated by a race of men and women who bear the image of God perfectly. And I think we'll see that in the little kingdom. Let alone the new have endures. And along the way, God gives glory as we learn his character as not only creator, but redeemer and judge. One who shows mercy and righteousness. And that may be one reason why God allowed the fall to occur, even though I don't believe the scripture teaches that He made it occur. Because God gets more glory and ultimate glory in that sense, because we see the different facets of His person, but that's more of a Kenyan statement. Um, God restores the image of humanity, God restores His image in us. Um, well, we have uh, half a second left here, so I'll just. I'll give that for tonight. We've done two in an hour, so of course, watching means we'll do eight in an hour tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, real Man Influences World. That comes to be place Doesn't have to do that. Another great story of something lost in the game of the loyal team. Let's just bow our heads and work it through. Thank Father, have a big that you would us to know you, Lord, and enjoy you, and to know your will and your plan for us, so that we can be obedient and be what you want us to be. And so that you will get the glory and that your will will be done, as we were taught to pray by your Son. Lord, thy kingdom come, and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we ask that in this assembly and in our lives and in my life, Realize not just here today, but ultimately, Lord, we know Christ will come and set up the millennial kingdom. Lord. Uh, we are now in the kingdom of the dear Son, and so we will say, Lord, uh, your will be done in our lives. Lord, help us to be men, help us to raise our young men to realize what real manhood is, Lord, not machismo, not uh, Lord, not, uh, not just physical strength and prowess, but, but when we begin to approximate your agenda. ask that you continue to do as you've done in the past. Raise a generation of real men among us that will, will do your work. And say, as we talked about last night, how uh, we reach Jesus first. We pray these in his name. The Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect man, our, our forerunner, uh, the one who is the author and the of our.